You ever wonder why we're here? Uh, I know why I'm here, and that's to become a funeral cannon tycoon! And everyone listening just pulled their headphones out like, oh god! Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> Welcome back to RVB Recall. We, uh, I would say we apologize for those audio levels, but we don't. We, we, we don't. We're having way too much fun here. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm Katie. And I'm Megan. Hey, everybody. And today we are talking about season 17, and it still blows my mind that we are on season 17, episode 3, Schrodingen, with an apostrophe for, for reasons, I suppose. I didn't know you could turn Schrodinger into a verb, and that's kind of what they did. <laughs> you can turn anything into a verb. I mean, look at Google. Just look at Google. That's very true. I, I distinctly remember the first time I used the, the word Facebook as a verb. Like, I was walking down dorm row when, uh, when I was in college, it was freshman year, and I yelled to a friend, I'll Facebook you later. And I thought to myself, huh, that's a weird way to use that word, and yet it sounded completely natural. <laughs> and this is what makes Twitter stand out, because it uses tweet and retweet as opposed to, yes, I'll Twitter that. <laughs> Doesn't that, that just sounds weird, because they figured out their own verbs and made them popular. Like, it's one of the few software, it's not really a software company, but it's one of the few social media networks that I have found does that. Everything else is like, my name is also a verb. <laughs> Real quick, before we get going with this episode, um, apologies, I suppose you could say, if we seem a little scatterbrained. Uh, we actually did, just full disclosure, because uh, I know this episode is going up late, we actually did record this episode earlier in the week, thinking like, oh, we're going to get the jump on it. And uh, then it turned out that the audio didn't actually record. So, whoops. <laughs> yeah, some guy named Genkin showed up and he pulled out this weird gun and he just sucked the audio into a black hole. So, you know, there's no coming back from that. So this is, uh, this is take two. You know what this is, Katie. We recorded a podcast in which there was and was not audio. I mean, but now we're replacing that audio, so we are collapsing that probability wave. So let's get this party started with someone with a very high level of job satisfaction. We start off with Gankins and his nice little montage of murder, and we've got... We've got blowing up Junior, we've got dropping the spaceship, we've got freckles facing the wrong way, we've got... What is Felix actually afraid of? Anytime we get uh, a shot of any of that actual halo rings, it's always really striking. It's a... Like, it's been a long time, I feel like, since Red vs. Blue has shown us uh, an area with that actually takes place on a halo. 
Um, and so it's it's just one of those reminders that even though, yeah, all of these are done in the various Halo engines, I kind of forget sometimes that this is Halo fan fiction. So just kind of opening up the uh, the episode with that shot of the Halo as the camera pans down. Like, I really liked that. And I really liked the dramatic MCU Loki-esque monologue that Genkins was giving as well. I I really liked that. But what I want to talk about more than than how great it is to see Junior again, because it's great to see Junior again, Felix, finding out what Felix was afraid of was a gosh darn delight and such a highlight in this episode. Honestly, that was probably my favorite part too. It's just like, what is Felix afraid of? Knives. <laughs> he forgets their knives and then he picks them up and then he panics and that's when he throws them. Just like, how, how does this, God damn it, Locust, you're smarter than that. Well, not in this current instance. He's been shot a lot. So it's, yeah, it's a rough day for Locus. But that is such a hysterical, nonsensical answer. And the fact that he's like, you know what? Yeah, it totally makes sense for Felix to be afraid of his own knives. It just says a lot about Felix, too. <laughs> just picturing Miles Luna in the booth, um, you know, doing doing lines. It's like, okay, uh, Miles, the next line is... Uh, Felix grabs onto a knife, uh, panics, and throws it. <laughs> Felix panic scream. It, I want to hear that in the booth. But no, um, it's great. It's great anytime we get to see Locus and seeing how really conflicted he was and how close, even though it went against his better judgment, how close he was to actually sticking with Felix to the end is kind of hilarious in hindsight. He is a complex character. Speaking of, well, there is really no speaking of complex characters here because uh, we're cutting back to Donut. <laughs> That's mean. Well, yeah, but no, uh, yeah, this is actually the most complex he's been in the past few seasons. They have, they've paid a lot of attention to him over last season and this one so far. And I am appreciating the hell out of that. Give the man some dimension. But yeah, we we are now with Donut. Meanwhile, dot, 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 question mark, which is, I think, one of my favorite just little teeny jokes in this episode is meanwhile on chorus with Dr. Gray. Sounds like a clue thing. Can I just say that we watched this episode like three times? I didn't notice that that joke until the third time we watched it the mean like just the question mark after meanwhile it literally took three times watching this episode before that sunk in well admittedly that is because i pointed it out on our previous podcast that never was the one that's now in the black hole and also because it says meanwhile gives you the location and moves on with the scene and then a couple seconds later adds the ellipsis and the question mark. So it's not like immediately they're on screen and I didn't look at it. It's like, oh no, I'm still staring at it and there's this detail. Uh, yeah, speaking of uh, sleeper jokes, Dr. Gray. Just, just Dr. Gray? I've missed her, but also the more we find out about her, the more she scares me. I've missed her too. Oh, it's such a delight seeing her again. Like she's such a bizarre character. Like a couple, like in one of the early seasons, 
Church once looked at Caboose and said, God damn it, man. I wish I could live in your world for like five minutes. And that's how I feel anytime Dr. Gray is on screen, where it's like, you're both terrifying, but also awesome. And like from the very beginning, ever since we were first introduced to her, I'm like, bad guy question mark <laughs> villain definitely mad scientist and obviously she didn't pan out to be um evil or a villain but like i really love that they like stuck with the mad scientist thing because uh, that makes her so fascinating she's on par insane with like the rest of our characters you know she's perfectly at home with the reds and blues uh in terms of level levels of absurdity but like she's so fun and brings such a fun energy to any scene that she's in um so it was great seeing her again because even when she's talking about becoming like a funeral canon tycoon and talking about you know the nature of death and like post-mortem care and things like that it's always just so so fun like she clearly takes a lot of joy in everything she does all I will say is thank God that she's in medicine and not politics because she would have uprooted the entire UNSC by now. Like, no question in my mind, she would be a semi-benevolent dictator <laughs> had she been interested, had she chosen politics as her life's interest and not medicine. But as it is, she's just committing a lot of insurance fraud and not giving treatment where it isn't needed, maybe? Well, wash, honey. I do just want to ask, what do you think a version of Emily Gray who had gone mad with power would look like? There's a pithy pop culture reference here, and I can't really think of it. The best thing I've got is, like, the technology version of Lord Dominator. <laughs> With a little less to prove, you know? I dig that. That's awesome. She comes with her own musical numbers. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah, so that's Emily Gray in a terrifying nutshell. Thank God that she's into medicine. But she commits insurance fraud with the UNSC. Like, well, Wash keeps coming back in here, but I told them that he has been castrated, disarmed, and generally bothered over the course of war. And I, I love a really good application of arson, murder, and jaywalking. It's one of those tropes that doesn't come up terribly often, but it's also one of my favorites. So just seeing it out in the wild makes me really super happy. Now... We, we hear this description of Wash before we, before we get a chance to see him again. Um, so I wanted to know, how, how quickly did your heart sink when Dr. Gray is, ex uh, is explaining that he both was complaining of neck injuries and basically giving this description of uh, Wash as we know him being a paradox? How how quickly did that make your heart sink? Because we were speculating quite a bit about what the ramifications of Wash being outside of time and space would be. I mean, we already knew that this was going to hurt. We really did. This was just delaying the blow, as it were. But after the new wing to the hospital that Wash has founded and the 
funeral cannon enterprise that she came up with and that he's the, the main financier of at this point in which you can shoot a corpse straight into the earth or space or the ocean if you have a foot fetish i love her she's so weird <laughs> so after an explanation of this terrifying enterprise we make it up to wash's penthouse where there's odd green sculptures a butler that doesn't seem to have a name at least not that we know of and our boy oh boy yeah and i really love the way this scene starts off first of all nice i liked i appreciated the elon musk joke i like it might be low-hanging fruit but i really liked it <laughs> it made me laugh all three times we watched this um going i i think what one of the best things about this moment was just that first shot of washington and as the camera's pulling back just that audible flicker is so so good like that sound cue alone tells you exactly what you're in for for the rest of the scene and it proceeds to be both heart-wrenching like this scene stomped i think on both of our hearts quite a bit but also kind of gut-bustingly funny yeah we knew this was gonna hurt and i mean there were some really funny jokes in here emily's a smart cookie and you're a donut like every single time I'm laughing but I'm also just sitting here crying and I think every time the bit about this that struck me the most is at one point where Donut is talking with Sane Wash and it does that crackle and his helmet's facing the wrong way just like the face play at one point is just facing the wrong way on his face and then it snaps back it's not a full fuzz out fuzz back in it's not a full overlay but it's just that little bit facing the wrong way and then back again and I'm like that that is really well executed visual horror because if it had been the whole thing for just a minute you'd be like oh yeah different versions but just the faceplate is like it's messed up it reminded me the the visual side of it reminded me a lot of when in like OG seasons of Red versus Blue like the original Blood Gold Chronicles it reminded me a lot of when the AI O'Malley would possess someone because uh, back then you know they had to they had to shoot the scene multiple times and change the opacity you know it was it was a limited effects budget but yeah it would you it was a, essentially be ghost church going he gurk on top of it on top of whatever character he was possessing possessing and it was a very similar thing but like again it's it's such a, it's such a nice look at how refined this series has become um looking at you know you do what you can in the original series as they're figuring out what kind of show they want to do and everything like that um now that this is like kind of a fully realized sci-fi epic with an effects budget and animators and um you know a dedicated sound crew and everything like that or dedicated foley artists like this whole thing was re it was both reminiscent of the old but completely new and something we'd never seen before and it was executed really really well yeah it was a terrifyingly well rendered higa gurgurk and yes, that is the technical term. Yeah, the, and it looks like the solution to snapping someone back into place, as it were, is to make them know an impossible fact. 
you both were and were not shot in the neck. And that snaps Wash back to the Wash that we knew before season 15, I want to say. Or like at the beginning of season 15. Not necessarily because he remembers the altercation with Carolina. So I don't know. It's hard to say whether or not this quote unquote fixed the brain damage um, that he sustained after his injury. But at the very least, maybe it did, which would be fantastic and would be a really good way of fixing this. But it appears as though at the very least he has the memories of Wash from season 16. I'm just talking like in terms of functionality. He did say that this put him back to fighting fit, evidently. So I think we're working with I think we're working with the memory set up to this point, but I also think we're working with, you know, as competent as he was before he was starved and then shot. So, you know, before the added trauma, all that fun stuff. Classic quote unquote wash or is classic quote unquote wash still terrible at being a villain? Depends on what your version of the classics are, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so we have Wash and Donut bailing on his poor butler, who after, who's that? I don't know, he's your butler. <laughs> not paying the man upon leaving and realizing the butler does not have a British accent, which was also one of my favorite jokes here. Like The simple jokes in this episode, the execution of those really simple jokes were some of the best jokes that they had here. Like, those were some of my favorites. But yeah, we have explained to Wash everything that has happened, got halfway through a sentence, brought him through a black hole, and then finished the sentence. Because finishing the other half of your sentence in a completely different location is cool, I guess. It's fun to take people a long way to finish a sentence. Shout out to anybody who gets that reference. Um... Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Um, the comedic de- timing and delivery in this episode were so on point, and Shannon McCormick did such an excellent job in this episode, whether it was playing dissociative, um, dissociative wash or like straight up like this, moments like this where he's like, you know, it sounds unbelievable, but... I was a funeral cannon tycoon like two minutes ago, so what do I know? Like, those line deliveries were pitch perfect. So, well done, Shannon McCormick. This was an excellent time. Before we move on to our next topic, I'd like to give you a word from our sponsor. Rooster Team Radio is sponsored by Fred's BS, Breads and Spreads by Fred. Fred's BS is an L.A. local one-man baked goods business that offers unique flavors in small batches. Whether you're looking for homemade jams, brownies, blondies, or brown sugar buddies, the best cookies you've ever had, Fred's BS can provide. All products are made in small batches with fresh ingredients, nothing is ever frozen, and Fred provides a plethora of flavors that can't be found in stores, like the aforementioned brown sugar buddies or his strawberry peach paradise sunrise jam. Also, if you're L.A. local, you can choose pickup instead of delivery and get your goods even sooner. Head to fredsbs.com and use coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM for 20% off your entire order. That's fredsbs.com, F-R-E-D-S-B-S.com, and coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM, team with an M. Fred's BS, treat yourself because you deserve it. Oh yeah, and one of my favorite deliveries is actually a little later in this episode, and we will get to that. Because we have Wash seeing Krovos for the first time and going, this 
this is the person? This is the AI? Okay, not the AI. The fractal algorithm and the fabric of space and time. Yeah, no. Time itself may or may not be a god. Great. Awesome. And I really loved that he kind of looked at this and stepped back and went, I don't really think about gods, but I get strategy. She's been playing you for a fool. Like, if you wanted to get shot, where would you want me to shoot you? Some Again. <laughs> just this if I were to shoot you on your body again like all right we've all accepted this oh we'd want to go someplace non-vital exactly she's pushing us someplace non-vital because she doesn't want you to go where you can fix it there is so much good stuff packed into this scene um first and foremost you know it's hard to tell week week to week as you know Ep the episodes are released um, but something that plays really well when you're sitting down to watch a season as a whole is seeing where in a season planting and payoff happens um, in the last episode when Donut got caught in that time loop of Wash shooting him I I thought that made sense from a character standpoint for Donut because it was a very vivid memory um, and it, it, it played off as a very, very funny joke. Um, but I kind of thought that was it until we get this episode and this particular plot point that Wash is bringing up. And it made me realize, oh my gosh, that entire scene of Donut getting shot over and over again was foreshadowing for this moment. Like, I, I sat there and I was like, that's amazing. That's incredible. Uh, writing and also like Shannon's delivery as he's giving this monologue is great the zoom in on Krovos is great as and something that Red versus Blue has always done so well is emoting actual emotions is emo <laughs> yeah is that was a almost a sentence is is how much characters emote when you're just looking at helmets that's how good the acting and the framing and the pacing all are. And so it's the slow zoom on Krovos. And even though you can't see her face, you know exactly what she's feeling. For those of you who watch Ruby, we're seeing Salem levels of cold rage here. Just watching this go down. And it, a little bit of this that I noticed only the third time around watching this actually is that while this conversation is happening, while he's going over, this is it. If we go back to the point in time after I get shot, but before everyone does time travel and stop them from doing it, it'll fix this paradox. It'll write this timeline, won't it? All that time, Krovos's barrier is in the shot. It's a filter over her helmet. You can see the weird, coalescence, not the word, weird pearlescent that's what I was looking for like the rainbow sheen and then the second he says you're right I'm right aren't I say it the the music stops the sheen disappears and that's when you get the listen here you little shit like Lee Eddie damn <laughs> just I'm terrified I'm not usually terrified of Lee Eddie because she's wonderful and I adore her I'm fucking terrified <laughs> so just all of that, all those little disparate pieces coming together to make this wonderful, terrifying moment when you realize that you have just super pissed off the bad guy because you've seen through their entire plan 
from the get-go. And then coupling this with Genkins coming in through the door behind them with that little black hole gun at the ready and that moment of, oh yeah, we figured it out, we can do this. I think all of our problems are behind us. And Losh just drawing the pistol and pointing it without looking. Oh, I was expecting the full-on horror movie ambush with Genkins coming from behind. And this was just like, yes! That's one of my favorite deliveries. Just all of the everything. The body language, the delivery, the framing. It's just beautiful. Uh, yeah, for a good chunk of the the scene, as Genkins is sneaking up behind them, we're we're we were both audibly going, "Oh no!" Like thinking we were seeing exactly where this scene was going. Then Wash raises the gun, because again, one of the best things about them adding animation to their machinima isn't necessarily the huge action set pieces. Because, like, those action set pieces are incredible and amazing, and they're a lot of fun to watch. But because this is still primarily machinima, I forget oftentimes about the subtle animation changes. And that was a subtle animation that just... It, it felt just as triumphant as when a freelancer grabs onto a rocket as it's in midair and throws it at a plane like it was one of those things it was so subtle and understated and yet so as you said as I said triumphant and it was at that moment where I'm like wash is back I've missed him so much I think we both really missed him. It's We definitely had fun these past two seasons, but I think we've both missed Wash being Wash. And that once he snapped back to himself, that's what a good chunk of this episode was. Up to and including the fact that Wash makes mistakes. Just like, he likes to be right. He likes to win. And he was just told he was right, and they're about to go win. So he can maybe be a little snide about it and give Genkins the opening to remove the time gun from the inventory with that black hole gun. Because he can't harm them directly, but he sure can fuck up their plans. It's easy to forget sometimes with how competent Wash and Carolina are. It's real easy to forget sometimes that he was the caboose slash donut of his respective group, that he was the baby, he was the rookie, and because he's next to the Reds and Blues so often that I, I don't remember if you said it in our last episode or the episode that doesn't exist, um, but he's a big fish in a small pond. Yep, that was the non-existent episode. I mean, all of this is happening, but you still got to remember that at this point, Wash is a blue. And that carries certain characteristics with it. And one of those characteristics is fucking up. <laughs> and he definitely did that. So Genghis makes a break for it. Wash tries to shoot him. It doesn't work. And so we are left with a very happy Krovos, which again, Lee Eddie's delivery. Dear God. Literally. She's amazing. But we are left with two parties working at odds with one another that cannot physically harm each other. So you wind up with a game of indirect movements and a little bit of cat and mouse because neither of them can go straight for each other and just eliminate the enemy. You have to outplay them. And the best tool that they had on their side is now gone. 
because we were going to be snide for a minute or two and self-assured and yeah, yeah, that works out super well in this series. Um, not to plug another podcast I do. Do it. Um, <laughs> do it. Love it's yourself. Not, it's not normally time for that yet, but um but anyway. The I really appreciate scenarios in which the protagonist and the antagonist can't directly hurt one another. But like I think that's such a cool setup, but it's all in the execution. Because Spoiler alert for anybody who never got around to watching Lost. That's sort of the dynamic that they tried to set up at the end of that series. Not between our, our protagonist and the, the smoke monster, but between uh, the smoke monster and the essentially the deity of the island. They, like, they pretended to set up this whole scenario where they couldn't directly interact with one another or directly harm one another uh that turned out to be completely bs and nonsensical so in my mind it's like they were trying to set up this very elaborate chess game with people on the island as their pawns uh and it turned out that wasn't really it at all it was just kind of half-baked and everything like that this however is very different because it's both Krovos might not be able to move, but Genkins sure as heck can. And Genkins has already done a lot of damage to the time stream. And so, yeah, our two teams might not be able to directly harm one another, but Donut and Wash, at least, at the very least, know right now where they need to go. So it'll be interesting, again, seeing them not being able to directly affect Jenkins, or Ginkins. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> low rent Loki. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, at the very least, they know where to go and what to do. It's just a matter of finding out how to do it. I need low rent Loki on a shirt. That's so beautifully alliterative. Well done. Talk to Mark. <laughs> yeah, I think I will. Yeah, so we've, we've set this ending up. And so when we initially watched it with how quickly and abruptly we had that twist and then ended the episode right after, at the time we had no predictions. It's been a week. You know mine, but I'm still going to do it again for the sake of this recording because it has not yet seen the light of day. But do you have any predictions? This is going to be a treat for me because I've actually forgotten <laughs> what you said your prediction was. <laughs> So it's like uh, it's like reliving it all over again. Um, predictions. My, I think what I said last time was that they're going to hop into the Everwind like Donut did at the beginning of the last episode. And that's how they're going to be able to travel. I feel like that's going to cause some problems. Um, and I, I ultimately feel like they're going to go to the right when they need to be but no one's going to take them seriously because at that particular moment wash has brain damage and memory issues and as we demonstrated in the last episode no one ever listens to donut it'll be interesting to see if they can even get to that time period within the ever one because the ever one stops at the time of the paradox so good point yeah who even knows but the one that I'm thinking of and the one that it took me a solid 48 hours to, for my brain to go, hey, wait a minute, is this. 
Jenkins and his nice little black hole gun sent the time gun into a black hole. You know what else he sent into a black hole? Huggins. So that's what I'm thinking. If Huggins is still alive in there, and it takes a very long time to die in a black hole from my vague understanding of space physics, if Huggins is still alive in there, and if Huggins is able to operate a time gun, which I would not be at all surprised, then it's possible that she might be able to use the time gun to escape the black hole and get into the Everwin herself and maybe pull Griff out of it. Who knows? Because Griff and Tucker are already kind of suspecting things, and I think Wash might be able to snap Tucker out of it, and Huggins definitely would be able to get to Griff. And then from then, it's a matter of everyone else. So that is my prediction, is the return of Huggins with the time gun. Probably not till halfway, two-thirds of the way through the season, but that's, that's kind of what I'm hanging my hat on there. I adore this theory. I love it. I've missed Huggins so much. Uh, she... She was killed off so abruptly last season that it was super upsetting. Um, so I would love to see her come back. Uh, and I I would love for her to be the hero <laughs> of this story in the end. Uh, hashtag hooray for Huggins 2019. <laughs> that is a good hashtag. I like that. We'll put that on a shirt as well. Hashtag hooray for Huggins. So before we close this out, anything else about the episode you want to mention? Uh, yeah, there was one other thing. Uh, Jason Waite, the writer for this season, he put out a tweet when, after this episode uh, premiered on first. He put out a tweet that day. And because a lot of people, much like us, really responded positively to the Wash uh, Donut team up, which in a lot of ways is the team up I think everyone never knew they always wanted. Um, so Jason put out this tweet. I'd like to underline that season 16 set up this fun. A donut wash team up was uh, Joe Nicolosi's plan all along. He co-plotted season 17 and I'm writing to season 16's trajectory and momentum. Many people made RVB 17, but don't forget to thank Joe Nicolosi. The Shins, uh, the Shizno paradox is his arc. And it's a gif of donut using the, the portal to be like out. <laughs> um, and I really appreciate that. I we we've talked in the past about how a lot of Joe's choices were were controversial ones, and some people were on board and some people weren't. So I really appreciate um, Jason taking the time uh, to to say, "Hey guys, this was the plan all along. This is Joe is just as much to thank." And just as much as part of a part of the team as everybody else who's doing their best to make this season as good as it possibly can be. So uh, I thought that was really cool. Awesome job, Jason. Credit where credit is due. And of course, thank you, Joe. Well, yeah. Man, this show. This, this show is the result of so, so many different people currently and throughout the years pitching together to make it what it is. And it just... I love it. I love it. Community effort. It would not be the show that it currently is if it hadn't been for every writer currently working on it and for every writer that came before. This has been a long journey, and I'm really excited to see where the rest of this season takes us. Um, 
And as as we go back and forth through time and space, we are getting bits and pieces of all of those different writers' voices. And it's really cool to see those voices come together in this way before because we've never seen them come together like this. Um, so yeah, credit where credit is due. Literally everything we love about Red versus Blue is the result of the hard work and dedication of so, so many people. So thank you to everybody involved with season, uh, with season 17 and everybody involved with this show in general. You guys are amazing and I can't wait to see what comes next. And I'm sure we'll be saying this again at the end of the season. Like, we're already that excited, you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think that is a good place to uh, end this. So, Megan, where can the people find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Manguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also do, as I as I alluded to earlier, I do a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost, where my co-host Will loves Lost and I don't. <laughs> so be sure to uh, check that out uh, on iTunes and Podbean. Uh, go check that out. It's a lot of fun. And I'm Katie. You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxet. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you like reaction videos to these episodes, they live on that YouTube channel. I am also on a podcast. It is an Overwatch podcast called On The Point. And we have had a good amount of stuff to talk about with Overwatch League uh, Season 2 Stage 1 finishing and Stage 2 starting to gear up. So... There's definitely been some news in the interim week. We talk about that. That is available on anchor.fm slash on the point. And it is slowly propagating onto wherever you listen to your podcast. So check that out. If you like all of this fun stuff, if you want to follow the team, which you absolutely should, we are on Twitter at The Rooster Team. We also have a YouTube channel, a Tee Public page, and if you go on to anchor.fm and search The Rooster Team or Rooster Team Radio, you will find all of the wonderful stuff that we do, like Ruby Redux and Genlocked, which is our Genlock show, which, boy, that was a lot of fun, and also the screaming and the theories. So much fun. Also, if you have not seen Genlock, or if you're not a sponsor and you kind of want to see what all of this is about, Rooster Teeth has a free weekend coming up, or I think a free day, when April 1st rolls around for their anniversary. All of their content is going to be available for a very limited time. So if you haven't had the chance to watch Achievement Haunter or watch Genlocked or watch, you know, that sponsor-only show that you're really interested in, this is absolutely the time to do it. Go watch it and then come back here and listen through Gen Lockdown because we have a good time and you should too. If you want to support us, you can support us on Anchor. Same way, find the Rooster Team and uh, check that out. And as always, supporting our sponsor supports us. So head over to fredsbs.com, F-R-E-D-S-B-S.com, and use coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM, team with an M, for 20% off of your entire order. Thanks for listening, you guys. We'll see you in the Everwin. Mm-hmm.